If you'll join me in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, we continue in our journey through Paul's letter to the Ephesian churches. We are in verse 29 this morning. Our sermon is Christian Living Part 5. And in case you're wondering, there will be six parts. Uh, So we have one more next week. Uh, Ephesians 4.29 this morning, our key words for our worshipers and training are words, grace, and self-control. Now, one of my favorite series of scenes from a movie is in the movie A Christmas Story, when the young Ralphie is assisting his father in changing a tire on the side of the road. Perhaps you're familiar with the scene. The tire blew out, and while the family was on their way home from getting a Christmas tree, they had to stop and fix the tire. So Ralphie and his dad get out to fix it, while Ralphie's mom and younger brother waited inside the car. And Ralphie was tasked with holding the hubcap so his dad could take the bolts and put them inside the hubcap so they wouldn't get lost. And at one point, his father reaches up to put another bolt in the hubcap, and he knocks it out of Ralphie's hands. And Ralphie says, For one single moment, I saw all the bolts silhouetted against the lights of traffic, and then they were gone. And then Ralphie blurts out a curse word. And he describes it as the big one, the queen mother of dirty words. And after an inquiry from his father to ensure he heard what he thought he heard, Ralphie was ordered back into the car while he recalled, it was all over. I was dead. What would it be? The guillotine? The chair? The rack? Chinese water torture? Mere child's play compared to what surely awaited me. And then in the very next scene, Ralphie's sitting in the bathroom with his mom with a bar of red soap crammed between his lips. And he said, over the years, I've become quite a connoisseur of soap. My own personal preference was for Lux, but I found palm olive had a nice piquant after dinner flavor. Heady, but with just a touch of mellow smoothness. Life buoy, on the other hand, blah. His mom inquired as to where he had heard that word before. In his mind, Ralphie recalled, Now, I had heard that word at least ten times a day from my old man. My father worked in profanity the way other artists might work in oils or clays. It was a true medium, a master. But I chickened out and I blurted out the first name that came to mind. Schwartz. And in disappointment, his mom put the soap back in his mouth and made her way to the phone to call Mrs. Schwartz to let her know what had been said and where Ralphie had heard it from. And on the other end of the phone, you can hear Mrs. Schwartz going crazy, spanking her son, who at that point wasn't even sure what he had done. Now, maybe you've had that kind of experience. Maybe you are well acquainted with the various flavors of bars of soap. I think, I really hope it's a parenting technique of the past, a strange way of reminding children that their mouths should be clean, only bringing them to use those words that are not in earshot of their parents because what's not happening is that their hearts are not being addressed. And the reality is that soap in the mouth can never touch a dirty heart. Jesus said, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth 
that defiles a man. In other words, our words say a lot about our hearts. As we continue looking through Ephesians here in chapter 4, we've taken each verse slowly to understand the true depth of what Paul's getting at while he describes the true fruit of putting on the new self. The Christian is in the practice of continually putting off the things of the old self and putting on the new self. And here in verses 25 through 32, Paul is giving giving us examples of what that new self looks like. What will our lives look like now that the new self has been put on? We've looked at being truthful and putting off all falsehood. We looked at righteous versus unrighteous anger. uh, Last week we looked at putting off stealing and the gift of hard work and, and serving others. And this morning we come to verse 29, which is all about our words and whether or not we have the queen mother of all words in our hearts that used to lead straight to getting an ivory bar crammed between our teeth. And the big question we have to ask is, what is in our hearts? That's where Paul's leading us. This text is God's means to clean up our mouths, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. So let's look together. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. It's page 978 in the blue ESV Bible. Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, Paul is identifying that the Ephesians, who were once a pagan people, still had very pagan-like speech. The things they said and the way that they said them were not honoring to God. But now he's pointing out, you are new persons. You put off the old self. You're putting on the new self. There is another way in which you should show plainly and clearly by your conversation and the kinds of things you're talking about and the way you're talking about them, that you are a new creation in Christ. And and Paul takes this on in one verse. And he uses a familiar pattern that we've, we've seen in the previous verses. First, he gives us the negative injunction. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Then he gives us the positive injunction. But only such as good for building up as fits the occasion. And then he gives us a reason why that it may give grace to those who hear. Now we're going to look at each part, but first we need to consider the primary issue behind our words. So four points this morning. The first thing for us to see is that the words of your mouth identify the condition of your heart. And Paul begins this exhortation with the words, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. And your version may say unwholesome word, It's corrupting or unwholesome, but the literal rendering of this verse is no rotten word must proceed from your mouth. It's kind of a a word that's putrefying. If you think about it like a piece of fruit or a vegetable that's gone bad. Just a few weeks ago, we had a bag of, a plastic bag of potatoes sitting on our counter for a few days, and somehow some water had gotten under it and up inside of it, and I was moving it to get something else, and the top of the bag had opened, and I caught a whiff of that thing, and it was absolutely 
awful. I might get a little nauseated just talking about it. So I did what every self-respecting person would do, and I called my wife to come and take care of it while I went to the other room. Now listen, I've had three kids in diapers, and none of them smelled anything like this. It's one of the worst things I've ever smelt, and I think it is a great example of what Paul is saying here. Don't let your words be like that. Don't let your words be like something that has a foul stench and is detestable to everybody around. And think too about things that rot. If those potatoes had had been in that condition in the middle of a fruit basket, what would happen to all of the fruit around it? All of that would be defiled too. Now, I'll be honest, I wouldn't take the time to figure out what was right and what was good still and what was bad. I would have thrown the whole thing in the trash and started my kitchen on fire to start over again. But the point here goes with the old adage. One bad apple spoils the whole bunch. Apples and several other fruits, they have a a gas that they emit when they're decaying and it rots the other fruits around them. And I think this is so helpful for us to understand what Paul is saying. He's teaching us, hey, when you speak, when you use words, make sure your words are not something that's, that nobody's going to want to be around. That's so putrid. Nobody, nobody wants to hear those words. Do not degrade the quality of your hearers. And if your words are rotten, they're going to affect everybody else. And the issue is that words are not just words. They're full of power because they come directly from the heart. The Proverbs are very helpful when it comes to this. The Proverbs say a whole lot about our words. There's several that speak to this issue, showing us that they can either be godly and helpful and life-giving, or they can be very ungodly, very unhelpful, and very much life-destroying. Proverbs 12.18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 13.3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Sword thrusts or healing, preservation or ruin. So to take these principles of Proverbs and and plug them into what Paul is telling us in the text, he's saying use words of healing and preservation, not sword thrusts and ruin. Don't let rotten words spill out of your mouth that will spoil everything else around. And this isn't just a matter of loving others, although that's very important, and we'll look at that in a few moments. Now, Jesus made it abundantly clear that it isn't isn't just a matter of sounds and syllables coming out of your mouth in a certain manner or in a certain order. It's a matter of your heart, and we have to address the heart, as always in this particular case, because depending on the context, depending on the actual conversation and how a word is being employed, it may or may not be a rotten word. So the issue isn't so much about making a list of words to determine what's good and what's bad. No, the issue is the heart behind them. And in Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 through 37, uh, Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees, and he says, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment... 
People will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Talk about some powerful language. By your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, hold on a minute, Jesus. Doesn't the Bible teach us that we are justified by faith alone? Yes, it does. But we're getting right to the center of what Paul has been guiding us to here in Ephesians 4. If the new self is put on and the old self is put off, what will that do to my words? If my heart is renewed, so should my words be renewed. So the point is not to say I'm justified or condemned by what I say. It is coming out of my mouth It's not just the words coming out of my mouth. It's too late at that point already because it's already been formulated and birthed and processed through my heart first. So the point that Jesus is getting to, the issue is that words are an indication of what's already going on and what kind of heart I have. And so the principle is that if I have a new heart, my words will be a reflection of that heart because out of it comes what I say. And that leaves us without excuse when we say things that we wish we didn't. Christians should never say, I didn't mean to say that. Now, what you might mean is, you're not understanding what I'm saying, or you heard me wrong, or something along those lines, perhaps. That's one thing. But if you say something and realize the other person is hurt by it, or you didn't get the response you wanted, you can't say, I didn't mean it. Because the Bible is the tell-all expose of your heart which says, no, you did mean it because out of your heart comes your words. Sometimes we say harsh things and we try to veil them in sarcasm so we think we have an out and we don't have to take responsibility for our words. And, and when a person is offended or, or hurt by what we say, we want to tell them, I'm, I'm just joking. It wasn't being serious, it's just a joke. Proverbs 26, 18 and 19 says, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I am only joking. Do you hear that description? Instead of taking responsibility and saying, You know what, I shouldn't have said that, and I'm very sorry I hurt you, will you please forgive me? If instead you say, I was just joking... What you're telling the person is, you just need to get over it. And the Bible says that's like throwing a firebrand or an arrow. It's like throwing death at someone. It's better to be honest and say, I shouldn't have said that. It was unloving than to say, I was joking. Because the heart cannot hide. And this issue comes up in marriages fairly often. It's, it's usually husbands saying things to their wives, and, and we're masters of wanting to say hard things and not having to deal with the consequences of it. So we, we try to find a way to say it that we can pass off as funny or, or sarcastic. That's not loving our wives. We need to learn to be honest and clear with one another without being harsh and degrading. We don't want to just try and pass off important conversations as a joke or sarcasm if it's not received well. So the primary issue of our words is our hearts. 
We must begin in the heart. So Paul, like Jesus, is going after this issue. But notice our second point this morning is that the words of your mouth should be under your control. Notice how he begins the sentence in verse 29. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. And that word let implies that I have something to do with it, right? If I'm a new creation in Christ, if I have the Spirit of God dwelling within me, which means I can, this means I can exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. And think of the fruit of the Spirit. Think of how much of it can be tied to our speech. Here's what I think as I look at the fruit of the Spirit. Peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentle, gentleness, and self-control. All of those are fruit of the Spirit, and all of those are related to our speech. And as children of God, we should be seeing that fruit in our lives, and we should be hearing those things in our words. We need to take control of the words that we use. They may be peaceful and not quarrelsome. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So that's peace. We must speak with words of kindness. Next week, we'll look at Ephesians 4.32, which has the simple exhortation that we be kind to one another. We have to use our words to encourage goodness and, and faithfulness in ourselves and in one another. The writer of Hebrews, in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we have this obligation first to meet together as the body of Christ. And when we are together, we should be encouraging good works and faithfulness among ourselves. We must be gentle with our words. And this is sometimes very difficult to do in some circumstances. The literal translation of Philippians 4, 5 says, let your gentleness be made known among all the people. How is my gentleness made known? Primarily through the words I use and how I use them. And of course, the last in the list of the fruit is self-control. Proverbs 29, 11 says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. How does one give full vent to their spirit? Through their words, of course. It's so common that I hear Christians talk about venting as though it's a good or a right thing to do. But it's really a display of a lack of self-control. And the Bible calls it foolish. Now hopefully we're seeing all the more clearly that our words are very powerful. This is why James compares our tongues to a small rudder on the back of a massive ship or the little steel bit in the mouth of a horse, or a spark that sets an entire forest ablaze. The tongue may be a small piece of flesh in our mouths. Our words may seem rather insignificant, but they have power that is far more significant than we realize and we generally stop to take notice of. There are very few things that we undertake in this life that don't include the use of words, revealing our hearts in every situation to everyone who will hear. And God help us whenever we aren't exercising self-control with our words. Just, just think about some of your worst conflicts with other people. Perhaps a spouse, a friend, a coworker, And think about how often you've wished that you hadn't said the things you said. 
or how often you think how helpful it would have been had you just exercised your self-control. We frequently get into conflict and we assume that we need to speak our minds, that we need to give full vent to everything that's going on inside of us, and we feel justified because we assume we're being attacked or that the other person or group of people have the facts wrong and the truth just needs to be made known. And as long as the truth is known, then everything's going to be worked out and all right. So our default position without self-control is not the low road of humility, It's not the quiet and gentle spirit that suffers wrongdoing for the sake of living at peace and maintaining unity. Our default is to strike back. And there's a common refrain that I've found true many times in my own life and in counseling others. Hurt people hurt other people. When we feel hurt by others, the natural tendency of our flesh is to fight back. And so we we set aside the fruit of the Spirit... We set aside prayer for a right heart and for wisdom and for sound and godly words. And we just dig in. Because how dare anybody say anything about me? How dare you get the facts wrong and make me look bad? How dare you not portray me in the way I want to be portrayed? There was a time in my life when there were people saying things about me that were false and they were being more and more widespread in how they were being said, and I confided in an older pastor, and I was sharing all of this with him and telling him how terrible it was and trying to formulate a plan of how I was going to set the facts straight, and he said, here's the only thing you need to remember. You just need to make sure that when they're saying evil things about you in the community, that they're spelling your name correctly. It was some of the best wisdom I've ever received. There can be a right time to speak up and set facts straight and give a defense for ourselves, but it shouldn't be our default position. Especially in the heat of a moment, without prayer, without wisdom, without first considering the words that we hope to use. Oftentimes, the right and best response to our detractors is to pray like David in Psalm 5 when he said, Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. In other words, sometimes the best response is simply to say nothing at all to your critics, but instead to draw near to the Lord. And in His way, and in His time, He will make the truth known. He promises that. Do you trust the Lord to do the right thing? That's the question. Do you trust the Lord to take care of you as His child? Do you trust the Lord to bless your act of self-control? The words you use and how you use them are a direct indication of whether or not these things are true. Well, the third aspect of verse 29 for us to see is that the words of your mouth should have value. We've seen the negative injunction, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. And now Paul turns to the positive, but only such as good for the building up as fits the occasion. Remember, the few Proverbs I've mentioned have shown us that not only do our words hold tremendous power and they can do great harm, but our words also hold tremendous power to do a lot of good. 
One of the blessings of being a pastor and using a lot of words through preaching and teaching and counseling and email writing and writing articles and all kinds of things is that every once in a while someone will say, you said something or wrote something that was very helpful to me in a particular area of my life. And I'll often say, really, what was that or when was that? It was like nine or ten months ago, but it was really helpful, so much so that I've not really had a problem in that specific area of my life anymore. And you know, it's great to know that our words, that we've used words that have been helpful and they've, they've had this penetrating power to affirm someone, to build them up, to bring healing and hope. And I hope all of you have had those experiences as you've encouraged other believers, as you've sought to give counsel and biblical wisdom to others. One of the greatest gifts of our words being used in that way is to hear from someone, you know, it's through you that the Lord used to bring me to an understanding of the truth of the gospel. To understand my own fallenness and brokenness and my need for a Savior. It's through your words and your willingness to speak to me the truth that I came to know the Lord. That's a blessing. That's the power of our words. But in order for that to happen, the words we use have to be valuable. In other words, we need to ensure that we are, we are wise and edifying, but we also need to make sure that we're not always just engaging in useless, fruitless conversation. Listen, if you don't ever get beyond conversations about the weather or your favorite sports team and cat videos on YouTube, you are never going to experience the blessing of the words of Proverbs 16.24 that says, are sweet to the soul and give health to the bones. Do you give that kind of thought to your words? Do you have a perspective? Do you have a, a thoughtfulness about you that when you're interacting with someone, you're thinking, how can I be an encouragement to this person? What words can I use that will bring healing to their bones, that will be sweet to their hearing? Now, I'm not talking about flattery. That's useless because so often it's void of, of the truth. Don't avoid the truth. Don't flatter. But, but even when we're saying hard things and have to deliver hard news and truth to people, there's a way to do it where we can also say that there's something here that I can say that will encourage this person, that will affirm them, that will bring grace to them. Remember earlier I quoted Matthew 12, 36, and Jesus said people will give account for every careless, idle word they speak. Think about that. What is an idle word? When a car is idling, or I guess I should say the engine is idling, what's going on? What's it doing? It's, it's just running. But it's not going anywhere, right? So, is there anything wrong with idling? Not necessarily. However, there's also nothing all that right about it either. It's just sitting and burning gas. There's no progress. There's no movement. There's nothing productive happening. And so idle words are those that are just sort of running but aren't moving. You're just sort of talking and you're using thoughtless words and they may not hurt. They may not be evil. They may not be angry words, but they're just there for no particular reason. In the second book of C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy, it's called... Uh, Paralandra. 
There's a lady that looks at the humans and says, how often your race speaks. You had nothing to say, and yet you made the nothing into words. Do you know anybody like that? A person who you know who will make a lot of noise and say a lot of things, but you realize that all of it is just idle talk, it's meaningless? Somebody once told Benjamin Franklin, you talk so quickly that nobody thinks that they can disagree with you, and therefore you'll never learn anything more than you already know, which isn't very much. Ouch. But what about yourself? Are your words just idle? Are you making nothing into words? Sadly, there are a lot of people who rarely, if ever, have substantive conversations with other people. Brothers and sisters, we should be having spiritual conversations about spiritual matters, discussing the Bible, discussing the sermons we hear and the books that we read. We should be talking about our own hearts and our own souls and our struggles with sin and, our, and the triumphs of the gospel. We should be talking about the kingdom of God and how we can be fruitful in our labors, how we can be serving one another and, and loving our neighbors and making much of Christ. This doesn't mean we can't talk about passing things. Many of the things we talk about are gifts from God to be enjoyed. Sports and hobbies and, and things like that. We should enjoy them. But the encouragement here is that we not major on the minors. That our words would be fitting and valuable and for the good of others. And so the last thing we see this morning that Paul directs our attention to is that the words of your mouth should be filled with grace. He tells us negatively, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. He tells us positively, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. And now Paul gives us a reason for all of it. He says that it may give grace to those who hear. Are your words a means of grace? It's wonderful how Paul frames this because he could have said, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but instead use clean, non-offensive words. But as with the rest of Scripture, the point isn't just about your action. The point is your heart and your motive. So instead, he says, don't let your words be rotten. Instead, ask yourselves about your words. Will these words be a means of grace to someone else if I say it? Am I meeting a need with these words? Am I building up the faith of this person? Or am I encouraging this person with the words that I use? So here's something that I, wa I want you to hear. It's not Christian to just say, hey, I don't say cuss words. Big deal. That doesn't mean anything. I know plenty of people who hate God who don't use cuss words. They're not really the issue, so a bar of soap in the mouth doesn't solve anything. What is Christian is to say, am I speaking to edify? Is grace coming out of my mouth because grace is in my heart? John Piper writes, if my mother had only washed out my mouth with soap and never prayed and labored to wash out my unloving heart with the gospel of the grace of God, I might today have an antiseptic mouth, but I probably wouldn't be a Christian. Brothers and sisters, our words should be very clear indicators 
of putting on the new self, not because our sentences are void of cuss words, but because our words minister grace to others. Don't set the bar so low as to think that that cussing is the issue. No, our communication, like everything else in the Christian life, is for the benefit of others. Paul is reminding us that, that whoever we're talking to has an immortal soul. And if we keep that in mind, if, we, if that governs our conversations, we're going to talk to people in a very different way. We will talk to unconverted people. And it's, and it's important that they know from our whole manner of speaking and from the things that we say and the way that we say them that we have a desire to love them and to encourage them and to lead them to the truth. We want to minister grace to them. If you've ever been around a person like that, a person whose words are always filled with grace, they're always building up and encouraging in all the right ways, you know that instantly. You want to be around them. You want to hear from them. You want to have long conversations with them because they're going to say fitting words at the right time. It's not flattery. It's not false sentiments, but encouraging words to build up your faith, to give you a sense of a desire to continue pressing on in the journey and and striving for Christ. I want to be like that. And I know I'm not. I want to be more thoughtful about my words and whether or not my words are a means of grace to others or if they're just idle words that don't do anything of good for others. Now, in general, if we're happy, we want to talk. We want to talk about the things that we want to talk about. We want people to enjoy us. We want to have fun. And that's all fine and good. But it can't preclude you from doing the first thing that you should do, which is to look at a person and their circumstances and say, what are their needs? What will please them? What will build them up in the truth? That's a powerful thing to think through in your conversations. So I hope we'll begin thinking about our words and what we do with them. And listen, I know some of you are thinking maybe, well, I'm just not articulate. I have no idea to say anything, how to say anything edifying or encouraging and upbuilding of any spiritual importance. Or maybe you say, well, I am very articulate, but maybe so much so that I just ramble and talk and I'm full of idle words, and I don't know that it's all that helpful at all. Here's where we go with both scenarios, and it can start immediately. At one point in Luke's Gospel, the Pharisees said to Jesus, rebuke your disciples, because they were crying out to the Lord Jesus. And Jesus said, the stones will cry out if these do not. What he meant was that when anyone or anything comes near to him, they praise him. In other words, they get articulate. He's saying either my disciples will say it or the rocks will say it because everyone and everything is going to cry out in praise to God. So brethren, even if your tongue is made of stone, if you get near to Him and stay near to Him, you will find yourself being able to say things that are praiseworthy and things that are excellent and things that are wonderful. It's possible. You know, just just this week in our community, five people were killed in a car accident on Interstate 16. And on the news, they interviewed a man whose wife and adult son who were both killed in that accident. I hope you saw the video. The man was obviously very broken. He was very sad. 
And my guess is that he would say of himself that he's a simple man and doesn't use a lot of lofty or flowery language. He's not someone who would be classified as articulate. But he said something very profound in its simplicity. Here's what he said. He said, I'm angry that someone took the life of my wife and my son, but it was God's will. I think that when it's time to go, it's your time to go, and no matter where you are at or what you're doing, I think that when the good Lord wants you, He's taking you. Do you realize how much good theology is packed into what that man said on the evening news? A beautiful, biblical statement from a man that almost certainly would say that he's not fit to be making a lot of public statements or standing in front of people to teach a lesson or a class or to preach a sermon or give a speech. But if he's walking near to the Lord Jesus Christ, the very words of his mouth are going to be profound. It happened to the disciples, right? They were beaten. They were brought before the courts. And as they were being sent out, they all looked at each other, all of the the Sanhedrin, all the religious leaders, they say, these men are very uneducated. But their words, the things they're saying and the way they're saying them are very powerful. Why? Because they were walking very closely with the Lord and He made them articulate. Well, our hope this week is that you will listen to yourself. What is your standard for your words? Are you trying to meet needs? Are you pleasing? Are you encouraging? Are you affirming? Are you using the power of words to build others up? And when you open your mouth, do other people start yawning or do people cringe or do they treasure what you have to say? Go to the Lord and say, Lord, I need a heart full of wisdom. I need a heart close to you so that I will have a tongue that's articulate in the things that matter. People looked at Jesus and said, His words are so gracious. Are your words fitly spoken, beautiful, and filled with grace? Let's think about that this week. Let's pray together. Father, we desire in our heart of hearts to put on the new self in such a way that the very words of our mouths are revealing of our walking with Christ. Are revealing of the reality that we are in Christ. That we are ambassadors of Christ. That we are guardians of the truth. That we are a people who have been shown much mercy and grace and love and forgiveness. And by our words, that we are offering the very same thing to others. Father, we want to have words that are filled with peace and goodness and faithfulness. We want words that are kind and trustworthy. And we want to exercise self-control. That we not let idle words proceed from our mouths, but that we be thoughtful. And that as we consider what we are going to say, that we first consider, is what I'm going to say useful? Is it profitable? Is it helpful? Is it going to build up this other person or is it going to tear them down? 
Father, even when we have hard words to speak, even when we're confronting sin, may we do so in such a way that we are able to bring encouragement and hope because no one is hopeless if they look to Christ. And so may our words be filled with an encouragement to look to the Lord Jesus Christ in every situation, at every turn. And we pray, Father, You would do this for the good of Your church and that You would be glorified in our words because our hearts have been transformed and renewed in Christ alone. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen.